Sanctions has become the central key means of economic and security policy. Welcome to Radio Davos, the podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at the biggest challenges and how we might solve them. This week, sanctions. As opponents to Russia's invasion of Ukraine seek to isolate Moscow, we ask, what are sanctions? Do they work? And how will the sanctions and Russia's countermeasures change the geopolitical landscape? Now it's clear that the West is and will be for some time in a new, sort of new Cold War with Russia. Are sanctions the reserve of the West, the United States and Europe, or are they a policy tool that other economic superpowers are turning to? China, which hasn't applied sanctions before, is starting to use more and more sanctions. This expert on geoeconomic risk tells us where he thinks things will go from here. Whether sanctions will work in actually changing any of the Russian goals and strategic behavior, that's another question. Subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review and join us on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. I'm Robin Pomeroy, Podcast Editor at the World Economic Forum. And with this look at sanctions... We have had the trend of the weaponization of the global economy for some time already. This is Radio Davos. In coordination with the G7 and the EU, an additional sweeping package of sanctions measures that will impose costs on Russia send it further down the road of economic, financial, and technological isolation. Uh, White House spokesperson Jen Psaki announcing another round of sanctions to be imposed on Russia in an effort to squeeze the Russian economy and perhaps get Russia to pull out of Ukraine. And their family members. These measures will degrade key instruments of Russian state power, impose acute and immediate economic... Sanctions are complex, sometimes controversial, but do they work? If so, how? So this is going to be done in coordination with others. There are calls that happen every... For this episode of Radio Davos, I speak to Mikhail Wigel, research director at the Finnish Institute of International Affairs, the author of, among many other publications, Geoeconomics and Power Politics in the 21st Century. Mikhail has plenty to say about the efficacy, or otherwise, of sanctions and gives his view on what we should look out for now, not least what China does, and what might be the unexpected consequences of what he calls, quite simply, a new Cold War. I started by asking Mikhail the simplest possible question, what are sanctions? Sanctions are essentially restrictions on economic flows. So we can think of capital flows, resource flows, trade flows, even data flows these days. And they have a strategic purpose usually. So you apply sanctions in order to get the target state, so to speak, to do something that you would like it to do or refrain from something, right? So sanctions essentially work usually in, in kind of three stages. First you, have, first, you have a threat stage when you when you threat, threaten somebody with, with sanctions. Unless you do what I say, I will apply sanctions. That's the first stage. The second stage is then the sort of a limited use of sanctions when you signal that you're serious, I will do this, and you apply certain sanctions on, on, on a target state. And then the third stage is what we could call perhaps economic warfare. And then the sort of strategic aim changes a bit because then it's not more about trying to have the, the target state refraining from doing something. Then it's all out warfare in the sense of trying to weaken the target state and weaken its economy or, and decouple it from the other economic flows. So what, what different types of sanctions are there? Well, the traditional sanctions are trade sanctions, where you restrict trade with, with the target state or asset seizures or they can be export controls. 
you don't export this to another state. Sanctions can be applied on any economic flows, on any economic flows, really. But now, lately, we've also seen a lot of financial sanctions. And now when we look at how sanctions and what sanctions are applied in the, in the world, we see that sanctions has become the, the central key means of economic and security policy. So we've seen sanctions, the use and application of sanctions heavily increasing throughout the last 20, 30 years, accelerating use of, of sanctions and especially financial sanctions. And it's especially the U.S. And, the, and Europe that uses financial sanctions because the U.S. and Europe are very central in the financial architecture in the global economy. So they have the power to use. It's an efficient means for them to use financial sanctions because they're financially so central. What we've seen lately also is that China, which hasn't applied sanctions before, is starting to use more and more sanctions. And then we, we talk about, especially about trade sanctions, because China is very centrally in world trade. China is not central in the financial world economy. So China doesn't, can't use financial sanctions very effectively, but China can use trade sanctions effectively. It has a lot of effect when it, when it does. What, what kind of thing can China or does China do in that respect? China has been using trade sanctions and threatening increasingly using trade sanctions against Australia, for instance, in its certain quarrels with Australia. Australia is quite dependent trade-wise on China. So that's a, an efficient means for China to use. Or China has been using trade sanctions against the Baltic states, Lithuania especially, lately because of the, the Lithuania's recognition of the Taiwan embassy under the name Taiwan. So China applied sanctions then, and especially in the, in the trade sanctions. So, and we've seen China using trade sanctions in, in a number of other cases as well, with some great effect because it really hurts when China does that, especially if the other country, the target states, is, is very dependent and has become very dependent on China and, and the trade, trade with China. You said at the start that there's these three levels when it comes to sanctions, the threat of sanctions, the imposition of sanctions, and then trade war. Are some sanctions themselves considered acts of war? Yes. I mean, Russia, for instance, right now considers some of the Western sanctions or the kind of imposition of, of sanctions against Russia acts of, of war. It, Russia speaks about Western economic warfare right now. And it has to do, and we've seen that also through history. I mean, already uh, back in uh, Athens considered uh, in the Great Peloponnesian War back in the Antiquity, there were acts of you know sanctions that were considered acts of war because they cut through the to the heart of the economy so that you know if you put on a financial embargo or an economic embargo on a state which really can't then attend to its basic needs those can well be considered acts of war or we can think of the cuban embargo uh, and cuba has has considered certain sanctions by the us as acts of war because it really makes it very difficult for Cuba to attend to its basic needs of its population. So how effective are sanctions? Looking back through you know, historical cases, is it easy to identify times when they've, they've worked or is it easier to identify them when they've not worked? This is a great debate that has been going on for, for years and years among scholars. I mean, if sanctions work or not, I think the, the better question to pose is, is when does sanction actually work? Under what conditions do, do sanctions work? 
And often we see that sanctions work when there are they are applied by a coalition of states, making it difficult for the target state to, to come around those sanctions. Or they often work better against democratic states than authoritarian states, because in authoritarian states, the leaders don't necessarily need to uh, attend to the needs of the population so much, or, or, or they don't need to care about public opinion as much as in, as in democratic states. So they often work better against democratic states. Of course, they work much better against a, a state which is very dependent on trade or whatever sanction is being applied. If you're heavily export-oriented, trade-dependent, and so on and forth, then you're vulnerable, more vulnerable to sanctions in that case. What we see now in the, in, in the case with Russia, for instance, is that the sanctions that have been applied against Russia now, now following its aggression against Ukraine takes a heavy, heavy toll on the Russian economy. The Russian economy is now almost completely decoupled from the global economy. We see increasing you know, capital flight. We see you know, the GDP crashing down. We will see technological backwardness and so on and forth. So it takes a heavy toll on the, on the Russian economy. So in that sense... Sanctions has great potential for economic destruction. Whether sanctions will work in actually changing any of the Russian goals and strategic behavior, that's another question then. And whether Putin will, you know, take steps back because of the sanctions, that's that's another matter. But sanctions often also have so-called secondary goals and secondary aims. So part of this game now or this, you know, strategic logic with applying and implementing a sanction against Russia is also to signal to other states in the world system that, you know, if you're very aggressive, if you're behaving aggressively, this is the sort of consequences that you will suffer. So perhaps China, for instance, takes notice of, of this, of, of the very effective way in which Western sanctions have, have been applied and the heavy economic toll it takes on, on Russian economy to think twice before, for instance, trying to invading Taiwan or something like that. So it, had, it has this signal, secondary signal aims as well with, the, with applying uh, sanctions. Are there any examples, though, where it, it's clear they have worked? So the, the aim, I suppose, of sanctions against Russia is to get Russia to pull out of Ukraine. That's what it's aiming, he's aiming to do. Obviously, that's not happened yet as, as we speak. There have been sanctions, as you say, on, on Cuba, for example, aimed, I suppose, at regime change of some kind. That didn't seem to work. On Iran, something similar there, um, sanctions both international but also particularly from the United States. They might have inflicted a lot of damage, both of those cases, but they didn't actually reach the end that they, they were meant to be aimed for. Are there any examples where it's like, yep, we put in some sanctions, we got the result, and, you know, well done? Well, I think in the case of Iran, sanctions actually worked pretty well. I think it, it persuaded Iran to the table, to the negotiating table, and the JCPOP deal was actually very much a result of sanctions. That deal was, of course, repelled by, by Trump coming in into the presidency. But that had to do with the sanctions. The sanctions actually actually worked very well on Iran in persuading Iran to, to negotiate. On Cuba, sanctions has certainly not worked for over for 50 years. It hasn't. They, they haven't worked. Um, when it comes to Russia, the 
invasion of Crimea, Russia's invasion of Crimea in 2014, when Europe and the US and a lot of other countries applied sanctions on Russia, I think they actually persuaded back then Russia not to go further, not to go for Mariupol, for instance, because clearly the regime, the Kremlin regime was clearly surprised by the sanctions and the quite heavy sanction already then. And it kind of, I think it led Russia to pull back a bit in, in that case. So sanctions work and they don't work depending on the on the contest and, 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 and conditions. What's important to remember, I think, is that sanctions often work before they are applied in the threat stage. So I think we have a lot of examples when threatening with, with sanctions. If you go through history, there are there are cases of of threatening of sanctions, and then the, the, the other side pulls back and, 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 and doesn't, you know, take the step it was taking because of the threatening sanctions before they have been applied. So what about the impact? You, you mentioned sanctions work best when it's a coalition of countries getting together and imposing the sanctions together. If that doesn't happen and you get one country imposing sanctions, the risk there, I suppose, is that other countries take up the slack. If, it, you know, if there's a trade or something, these other countries can come in. But I think over the years, there's been more of this case that if a certain part of the world, particularly the United States, but maybe possibly also Europe, does act, that a lot of other countries have to fall into line for one way or another. Can you tell us something about how that works, whether whether it's legally or due to reputational issues that one country can make other countries fall into line with the sanctions it imposes? On the one hand, this has to do with the sort of extraterritorial effects of especially financial sanctions, sometimes called secondary sanctions. So if US puts sanctions on, let's say, Chinese banks, they don't apply only to, to US citizens or US corporations uh, doing business with that Chinese bank. They will also apply to any other company doing business with that Chinese bank. So they have a lot of effects beyond the only the US-China relationship, so on. So others will also be, be kind of hit with sanctions if they do business with that Chinese company or bank in, in that case, which kind of spreads the effects very much. And this has to do with also the fact that the, the US is so central, of course, in the financial architecture in the world economy, but also the dollar, very kind of dollar uh, central world economy. So US can effectively decouple any any country or, or company from the dollar economy, so to speak. And, and that's a big threat for anybody uh, in the world economy, so not having to be able to access the US dollars or, or so. So that's a bit why these sanctions and special financial sanctions have this very kind of broad extraterritorial effects as well and why they can be quite effective even though the US wouldn't get together a broad coalition of other countries behind its sanctions US can actually do that on its own quite effectively so what about the future you say the last few decades sanctions have been more and more a popular tool for for certain parts of the world to use where do you see things going now and is is the Ukraine crisis is it kind of a test case? Is it going to change the way people see see the way sanctions are working? What do you see happening in the next months and years? Some of the trends 
that we see now um, accelerating have been there already for some time. So I think, first of all, we have had the trend of what I call uh, the weaponization of the global economy for some time already. So, And what I mean by the weaponization of the economy is, is really that the economic flows are more, more being kind of used as strategic means for a security policy. And that's why we see kind of the use of sanctions have accelerated so much during recent years. The other trend that's been already there is the sort of what I call the securitization of the economy. So since there's financial sanctions and trade sanctions are used so much these days, states need to react to that and protect themselves more and more from being a, becoming a target of sanctions. So they start to look at their vulnerabilities to sanctions very much. And that creates a sort of hedging behavior in world economy and also protectionism to some extent, because you don't want to be so dependent on others because you can become a target then of sanctions. So we've seen, for instance, China and Russia trying to develop these sort of alternative financial structures, an alternative to the SWIFT system, for instance, the SIP system is the, the Chinese variant to that, or China coming up with alternatives to the IMF or the World Bank, or China coming up with a different sorts of investment and loans me- mechanisms so that, and trying to push the renminbi, the, the Chinese currency to become more of a key currency in, in trade, in world trade, so that China wouldn't be so dependent on, on US systems, because China is worried that it would then become target. So that's this kind of a securitization trend that has been going on there for already some time. The last trend I would, I would kind of take up is the sort of what I call the balkanization of the world economy. So we see actually globalization going back somewhat. This started already before COVID-19, but very much accelerated with COVID-19 when, when we had shocks to supply global value and supply chains. And we started to see reshoring of supply chains. So a sort of carving up disintegration of the world economy to some extent. We also see a accelerating competition of, for technical standards. Who sets the standards in the global economy? And we might see kind of the disintegration somewhat of these technical standards that really has been kind of the basis for globalization. So these three kind of major trends in the world economy, weaponization, the securitization, the balkanization of the world economy, has been there for some time. They're accelerating very much now, of course, with this crisis and this war that we have going on in Russia and Ukraine. The big question really is now, what choice will China make in relation to Russia? That will have a key, be key for going forward because now it's clear that the West is and will be for some time in a new sort of new Cold War with Russia. Russia will be decoupled completely from Western economic networks. What is not clear is whether China will sort of provide economic shelter to Russia or not. If China provides economic shelter to Russia, then this sort of new global war goes global. Then we essentially end up in a situation where we have Russia and China on and some other countries dependent on them economically on one side. And then we have the sort of democratic world on the other side. But if China refrains and from sheltering Russia economically and politically and takes a more neutral position, then we might you know, have a more restrained and manageable new Cold War, which would only be with Russia, so on and forth. And we might actually have some 
possibilities of cooperating with China going forward. I suppose there's, in any case, whether a massive move like you're talking about there or just whenever it comes to sanctions, there must be this cost-benefit analysis going on because sanctions will hurt the target, but they almost always, so many of those sanctions also hurt the country that is imposing the sanctions or it's hurting certain constituents within that if they're people doing trade or in finance or whatever. These are questions that I suppose the policymakers have to think long and hard about. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there would be a great global economic toll of these sanctions now as well, because they're so broad and extensive, the sanctions being put on Russia right now. So they will certainly hurt Europe and the broader global economy as well. So I think they can be useful to sort of divide those effects into sort of Russian response effects, because Russia will, of course, respond to these sanctions now as well. And that will have an economic toll. And then we will have a sort of spillover and systemic effects of this, this economic warfare going on or speeding up, accelerating between Russia and the West. So in terms of the Russian response effects, I think, first of all, we'll, foreign portfolio investment is being locked up now in Russia. You can't get it, you know, the investment up. You, we will, you, you will see broad asset seizures, uh, nationalizations going forward, I think, in Russia. And then we'll have the sort of Russian counter sanctions then when it comes to export restrictions. So we already know that fertilizer exports is hitting global food production quite badly. We can expect certain restrictions on energy exports by Russia. We have Russia being quite central in critical mineral exports, and we can expect restrictions on certain critical minerals. And that will hit, for instance, car, aerospace, semiconductor manufacturers, and especially it will hit European technology production. So 3D printing, robotics, there are certain critical minerals that you need to produce these sorts of new technology. And those are to some extent dependent on minerals mined in Russia. And then we have other minerals such as, for instance, Russia is the third biggest supplier of nickel, which is used in electronic vehicle batteries and stainless steel. And here, of course, it's good to remember again that now when these exports are being restricted, probably being restricted by, by Russia, the other big country controlling these sorts of exports is China. So China controls very much the similar sort of mineral supply bottlenecks, which it can then use to amplify its, its own supply dominance. So this is really a threat to the EU's, especially Europe's, ability to sort of deliver its green transformation and its digital transformation to some extent. And then, of course, we have a sort of other spillover effects that we're starting to see now because of these sanctions and counter sanctions. We have some turmoil already in the international commodities markets. So price increases in oil, gas, wheat, metals, fertilizers, gold. We probably will be starting to see a bit of even shortages of, of grain, certain metals and gas going forward. We have accelerating inflation globally. We have uh, probably increased poverty in developing countries because especially the 
the shortages of grain and the the energy, the, sort of the inflation in the commodities market will will hit poor countries, already poor countries quite badly. And we probably see a bit of reduced growth in Europe because Europe, except France, is heavily trade reliant and has a very exportorient growth model. So, so it's quite ill-suited actually to, to prolong trade reducing sanctions. And as a consequence of all this, we will see very much, I think, increased state intervention in the economy, especially in, in Europe, which of course changes then also to some extent the, the economic picture in, in, in Europe especially. So this, there's a lot of broader effects of this, this kind of sanctions warfare going on between Russia and, and, and especially Europe. Mikhail Wigel, Research Director at the Finnish Institute of International Affairs. Please subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts and please leave us a rating and a review and join the conversation on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club. Look for that on Facebook. This episode of Radio Davos was written and presented by me, Robin Pomeroy, with editing by Gabriela Lahti. Studio production was by Gareth Nolan. We'll be back next week, but for now, thanks to you for listening and goodbye.